God, through the humiliation of your Son, you raised up the fallen world. Grant to your faithful people, rescued from the peril of everlasting death, perpetual gladness and eternal joys. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The scripture readings for this, the third Sunday of Easter, the first reading from the third chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, verses 11 through 21. While the lame man, who was now healed, clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, astounded. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or our own piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and the Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. The second reading from the third chapter of 1 John, verses 1 through 7. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God.
stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 24th chapter. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Give to the Lord all glory and strength. Give him the honor to his name. Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep.
Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God, our Father, and the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Our text this morning for this third Sunday of Easter is from the Gospel reading, St. Luke, the 24th chapter. These words, Luke writes, as they were talking, they, those who were on the road to Emmaus, Jesus himself stood among them. The disciples that were there gathered and, and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and, and thought that they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. And they, all the disciples, still disbelieved for joy. This is our text, dear friends, in our Lord Jesus Christ. By now, I think it's safe to say that many of you know the name of Susan Boyle. She's the literal overnight sensation whose seemingly unlikely song has sounded into homes all over the world. I say unlikely song because as this middle-aged and wholly unassuming, and even as some have written of her painfully ordinary British spinster from West Lothian, Scotland, made her way a few days ago onto the onto the stage of the televised grassroots talent show called Britain's Got Talent. She certainly didn't bear the look or the walk of anyone who ever could be a star. And when this 47-year-old contestant confidently announced that one day she'd like to sing professionally, there were chuckles. And when she announced that this night, on this talent competition, she'd, she'd be singing the operatic and nonetheless, the operatic I Dream a Dream from Les Miserables, the looks on the faces and in the smirks of the audience members and the judges, they said it all. They said, unlikely, Miss Boyle, unlikely. And then she sang. And did she sing? And the studio audience, who was moved as one wrote in a matter of minutes through all the, the gamut of emotions, guilt and shame, Vindication and hope, it all collectively rose to its feet and sustained the standing ovation throughout the entirety of her song. And one of the judges later remarked she had the voice of an angel. And the proof, the proof was right there in that beautiful tone that couldn't be denied. Right there the, in the basement bottom expectations and the doubts that rose in those audience members and in the judges too as they initially assessed this songbook by its cover. They were undeniably unfounded. Susan Boyle's confidence was not wrong. No doubts and expectations were. The proof was right there. Well, the proof for the skeptical Easter Eve disciples, apostles, was right there too. They saw it. They heard it with their own ears. They handled it. The undeniable proof was there, there in his hands. And in his feet, proof was in the prince. The nail prints. It is I myself, not another. Look, see, identifying marks. Touch me and behold, you can't shake hands with a ghost. That's about what Jesus said when he said to them, You see, a spirit has not flesh and bone as you see I have. And when he would said this, he showed them his hands, Luke writes, and his feet. Proof positive. Proof positive. And then Luke says that Jesus asked for something to eat. They gave him a fish fillet. And he did that to prove that he was he, because he knew that as Luke writes, they still disbelieved for joy. 
That's an odd statement. That they disbelieved for joy. How is that possible? It's a paradox, isn't it? It's an oxymoron. It's a contradiction in terms. Disbelieving for joy. How could that be? Well, the marvel of it all couldn't be comprehended. And the human mind, just like a computer, can't process something so easily. After all, there was Jesus. Now, he was dead, and undeniably so. But he's standing right here, and undeniably so. And earlier, Peter and John, they went to the tomb earlier that very day. They went to the tomb and saw that Jesus wasn't there, just like the women had told them. And now Peter comes back to us later in the day and says that he saw He's seen the risen Lord. And so do the women come back saying the same thing. And two of our brothers even, who were on the road to Emmaus, now come back and and report to us that they've seen the risen Lord. He was walking and talking with them. And he broke that new, this new sacramental bread with them. And now he, he, he disappears from their midst and appears in our midst. He was lifeless and that's undeniable. And yet here he is full of life, talking and breathing and eating. Our fish. That's information overload. It's hard to compute. It seems true. And how great a joy it would be if it were true. But it seems almost too good to be true. And that's disbelieving for joy. Disbelieving for joy when something's just too great, it would seem to be true. It's like an uncertain ember flickering between the glow of joy that it could be true and the darker hope-snuffing doubts that suggest that just maybe, just rationally, it all might be too good to be true. That's disbelieving for joy. Do we? (laughs) Do you? Perhaps you do. But don't be too quick to say that you don't. Now, maybe the physical fact of the resurrection gives you no pause. After the eyewitness accounts that faithfully and fully confirm it, that they're touching his hands and his feet and his side, his eating, fish. Maybe you're much more ready given these, and by grace, of course, much more ready like John to believe than doubt like Thomas. Perhaps you don't doubt the fact, the physical fact of Christ's resurrection, nor should you. But do you perhaps doubt the effect of Christ's resurrection? The effect that it has for you and in your life? Because you see, one disbelieves for joy. He thinks it all too good to be true. For example, when he won't forgive himself for sins that God has already forgiven. And maybe you know that well. There are certainly... And undeniably, those things that each of us has done or left undone that don't so easily leave us alone. They certainly mark our minds. And the marks of them, they'll mark our lives. And daily the marks remind us so that every time we, like Peter, would hear again that familiar cock crow, we're painfully reminded of what's been done. And even though we know Scripture 
says that the resurrection is proof positive that Christ's atoning death on the cross is enough to put us right with God, to reconcile us with God, and how great a thing that would be, still the ember flickers. It flickers because the thing that's done seems to you in your mind mightier than God's justifying decree. And the might of it in your mind muscles, as it were, the stone back in front of the tomb. That's disbelieving for joy. Disbelieving for joy. And it's not just, as we noted, when remorse overrides the resurrection, when one, as we said, determines that God wouldn't and shouldn't be reconciled to me because of what I've done. But one also disbelieves for joy. He thinks it all too good to be true when one banks his faith on the emotion of joy. Because you see, when he does that, banks his faith on the feelings of joy, when he does that in times of hardship, in times of waning joy, and in these economically challenging times in our cultural context, we know those waning joys. When he sets his, in the security of his faith on the feelings of joy, in these times one then determines that God couldn't be pleased with me or things in my life wouldn't be as they are right now. Or that he must have forgotten about me or that he no longer walks with me. Maybe we should call it disbelieving for a waning joy. And sadly many do. They grow troubled. And doubts arise as joys wane because assurances are rested on the subjective and the fleeting things that they can be manipulated and worn down like the feelings of joy. Instead of on an objective outside of yourself and rock-solid resurrection reason for joy. And it's even true, too, that sometimes amid a life of contented Christian joy that the ember can begin to flicker merely because of the simplicity of the Christian message. That Jesus Christ, God's Son, died for your redemption and rose in validation of it. Seems too simple. And you see the the devil who works tirelessly among us and the world who works upon us and all around us and our own sinful flesh within us constantly working to snuff out trust in Christ. They love to play on mankind's inborn sinful determination that he's got to do something. He's got to contribute something, at least in part toward his salvation. We're born to say there's no free lunch so I've got to do something. I've got to lead a better life. I've got to show it in that way. I've got to, I've got to maintain a zeal for the faith. And these become our mar- marks of joy and peace. But think how dangerous that is, though, and how disbelieving the result can be as, for instance, one well along in his years is moved, maybe due to health concerns or just by the passage of time, more carefully, more attentively to contemplate life after this one, and he becomes increasingly convinced that there's got to be more than the free gift of salvation in God. How it would seem that the long-held joy in God's free grace would be a joy too good to be true. It would seem too simple as it is. That's sadly disbelieving for joy. Friends, for those who question the physical fact of Christ's 
resurrection. He said to you through the eyewitnesses what he said to them. See my hands and my feet. It's undeniably I myself. But for those who doubt the effect of his resurrection for you. And for your unforgettable yesterday and your rugged today. And your promised tomorrow. Well then Jesus says to you what he through scripture has said to thousands of upon millions of those just like you before. And say, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet. Behold the nail prints. Do you think, he says, do you think that all the wrong your hands have done could ever outdo or overcome or outfurnish what these my hands have won? Behold my hands. Do you think, he says, that when life's joys wane and its rugged path leaves your traveling feet tired, do you think that that means I'm not there with you? Do you think there's any place I wouldn't go with you and for you? Behold my nail-pierced feet and where they've gone for you. Do you think, he says, that your promised heaven is too good to be true because it costs too little? Well, then he'd say, Dear redeemed one, take a good look at these hands and these feet of mine and the holes left by the nails that pierced them through when I was on the cross for you. Behold my hands and my feet and recall just what it cost me to secure for you a redemption that costs you nothing but guarantees you everything. And so peace be to you. And it's no wonder then that he says peace be to you. Peace be to you. Let there be no doubts for the proof The proof is in the prince, in my hands and in my side, in my feet. I'm reminded of other prints I once saw, prints of a different sort. Several years ago, touring with my wife and then two sons, Mission San Juan Batista, miles just south of of here, not so many miles away, near Hollister. We were touring the mission, Mission San Juan Batista. We, we came into the nave of the mission chapel. And inside we saw on the old adobe tiled floor, we saw the paw prints that an animal had left behind. These prints, though, they weren't going anywhere. Near 200 years old, they were engraved, if you will, right there into the floor. You could put your finger in them and feel the, the ridges and, and feel the, the unevenness of the floor. You see, apparently as the freshly made soft adobe clay tiles were still drying and hardening out in the sun, some four-footed culprit ran across these particular tiles that weren't discarded, but that were placed as is right there in the chapel floor. And so there they were, indelible prints that you could feel and touch. Indelible prints not worn away by time. It's striking then to look up and to turn and see in that same room a crucifix. Christ crucified upon it with prints in his hands and marks in his feet. Nail prints far more indelible and far more meaningful and far more intentionally made than those trivial prints of any anonymous creature in the fullness friends and the fullness of all time can't sweep away and can't wear away and can't polish 
away what he did for all time for you once upon his cross. And so you heard John. I witness John. Last week in the epistle reading declared to you of the risen Christ that which we have heard, he says, and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, we declare to you. And then he adds this, and these things we write to you so that our joy, so that your joy may be full. So that your joy may be full. That your joy may not flicker in disbelief like an ember unsure, but a truly risen Christ and a truly effective resurrection declared to you so that your joy may be full. Each time you enter this place, this chapel, if you will, each time you enter this place, you can recall the fullness of John's joy when you see that life-sized image in the rear of our, of our own nave, the life-sized image of your risen Lord and that come unto me window beleaguered, beleaguered and, and wearied by the world and sin, you come and you behold the image of him extending his arms and note it well with ruby nail-marked hands opening his hands to you in welcome. And each time you leave this place and out into the world with the promise of his peace, you walk past the same image Hands pierced and departing, perhaps you'll recall what he once said to you in Scripture. He said, I will not forget you. See, he says, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. And so come in full joy and go in peace. The proof that you can is in those prints. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Stand and sing with me the two verses of our sermon hymn recorded for you in our service folder.
sent your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, made him an offering for our sin, raised him from the dead, and made him ruler over all things. Let your word of life be proclaimed faithfully in every congregation, and let your people confess it faithfully throughout all of the earth. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Forgive us for being all too often doubting and faithless, for despairing when challenged by hardships and persecution from without. Forgive us for making concessions in our confession for the sake of peace at the cost of truth. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. By your word and sacraments, deliver to us, we pray, your forgiveness of sins. Strengthen our faith through them, that we who have not seen with our eyes may yet by faith know and believe all that you've given us in the person and the work of your Son, 
so that believing we too may have life eternal in his name. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Almighty God, work your will through the nations of this world. Grant our nation good and faithful leaders to govern according to the laws of our land and bless our president and Congress and the courts of justice. Be with all who enforce our laws and protect us from hatred and violence at home and trouble abroad, Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. O Holy Father, watch over and provide help to all children who are orphaned, to the widow and the widower who have no family to care for them, to those who have suffered abuse, to those who are lonely and without the companionship of close friends, to the unemployed who are in search of work, to troubled marriages and to homes in turmoil. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. You have declared that we are your children, children who will find refuge in your fatherly care and keeping. Accordingly, we pray for the doctors and the nurses and the families who serve the needs of those who are recovering from illness, for all who are recovering from surgery or hospitalization. For Lois Schneider and her successful surgery on Friday, we thank you and ask your healing power upon her in days to come. For Don James, Robert Latham, Dick Much, Hugh Ryan, for others who contend with illnesses, for Glenn Miller, Slim Paul, Paul Duell. We pray for each of them. We pray also, O Lord, that you would have mercy upon your servants, Maggie Schuster and Lene Cantu, who contend with cancer. Be with each and all of these. Grant them your daily grace and strength to endure until your day of deliverance, Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. We pray for all who mourn the death of loved ones and for all who remember those who have died in the faith before us. Grant comfort and heartfelt gratitude to all of us who remember those who shared our past, that through faith in the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, we may be certain of that shared future. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. As you once stilled the doubting hearts of your faithful disciples and fearful disciples by holding out to them your nail-marked hands, so also overcome our fear and our doubt and fill our hearts with joy and peace as you draw us to your holy supper where you graciously hold out to us your very body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins and the strengthening of our faith. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And now to you, O Heavenly Father, with your Holy Spirit, who by baptizing us into the death and to the resurrection of your Son, has made us to be your sons and daughters. To you, O triune God, be all glory and honor, praise and power, now and forever. Hear us as we pray in your name, O Christ, and as you have taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, you have safely brought us to the beginning of this day. Defend us in the same with your mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, 
being ordered by your governance, may be righteous in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen.